0: Thank you, uh, Eddie, for your uh, little Christian life segment here. It inspired me because I like to hear stories about how God is working in each of your lives. And uh, I was especially uh, thankful for Eddie. You know, he's the kind of guy who brings peace into every situation he's at. He shared some stories with me about uh, his experiences at work and words that he can say to people or maybe pray for people and he has plenty of opportunities to do that, and I know you all do too. And uh, it's great to see that the things that we preach about actually come true in real life. And we are ambassadors of God in this world, and uh, he uses us in many different ways. We should always make ourselves available to him and uh, you know, do what we can to serve him, as uh, Pastor Dave brought out last week. Uh, We're his servants, and he sends us wherever he wants us to go, different kinds of situations. And as we come there, we reflect God's light, and we reflect uh, his character to all the people we come in contact with, not in a self-righteous way or a holier-than-thou way, but in a humble way. And uh, God will use us in powerful ways. So good to have you back, Eddie. We missed you. Well, let's open our Bibles now as uh, we begin our main message, and we'll start with prayer. Lord, as we open our Bibles today, uh, we're not here just to learn uh, knowledge, but we're here to have our hearts touched by You and to see the reality of Jesus Christ, why He came, and uh, how He continues to work in each of our lives in a powerful way. So uh, Holy Spirit, give us understanding today and make it just not head knowledge, but heart knowledge as well. So uh, we know you'll perform that miracle in each of our lives. So we put this main message in your hands now. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to open our Bibles today to Matthew chapter 2. Talk a little bit about uh, what was mentioned uh, in the video a little earlier. You know, it's unfortunate the way Christmas is celebrated in America these days. Uh, It seems to start too early. You know, they start playing Christmas songs around September and October, and uh, all the advertisements and commercials, you start to hear Christmas music played real early on, but once Christmas Day is over, it all ends abruptly. Do you know that uh, throughout history, Christmas was celebrated for 12 days? I think we all know the songs, the 12 days of Christmas, on the first day of Christmas, and it goes through all 12 because in Christian circles down throughout history, Christmas was celebrated for 12 days, ending with where we are right now, the Feast of the Epiphany. Uh, this is Epiphany Sunday, but uh, this is the end of the 12-day segment. Uh, so the Feast of the Epiphany is celebrated at this time. Uh, epiphany means appearance or manifestation. Uh, It was the time traditionally when the wise men came to visit the Christ child. So uh, we're going to read a little bit about that today in Matthew chapter 2. We'll we'll go through the account and then we'll come back and and maybe go through it a little bit more deeply and pull out some information from it. Matthew chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or Magi, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "'Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? "'We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. "'When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, "'and all Jerusalem with him. "'When he had called together all the people's chief priests "'and teachers of the law, he asked them, "Where is "'Where the Christ was to be born?' "'In Bethlehem in Judea,' they replied for this is what the prophet has written. And it quotes the prophet here. uh, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. It goes on, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them, Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So they got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead." So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene." Okay, so that's the story right there, an interesting account. Let's go back and and go through it in a little bit more detail and see what we can learn. Uh, This word magi, or magi, I've heard it pronounced both ways, it's an interesting word, and these men who came, we know so little about them. It's not important that we know a lot about them. It's important that we know that they came and worshipped Jesus. Uh, Magi is the plural form of magus, you remember in the book of Acts a man by the name of Simon Magus, Simon the magician. And Magus or Magi is where we get our English word magic or magician. So they were most likely, tradition says, and historians spec, speculate, that these men were from Persia, uh, probably about 800 miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, We don't know how many Magi there were. Uh, Considering the fact that they traveled with a gift of gold and incense for the Christ child, it was most likely a larger group of people traveling together like a caravan. There was so much crime, robbers in the land at this time, that it would have been unsafe for just three men to travel carrying gold. So, chances are, there was a large group, and among them, these three special men. Uh, Tradition suggests that these men would have been skilled in science, astronomy, perhaps astrology, dream interpretation, and magic. In other words, they were Gentile priests. They're portrayed positively in this case. There are other uh, magi, as I mentioned, Simon Magus is presented in a very negative sense in the book of Acts. And there was another man by the name of Alemus, I believe it is, also Bar-Jesus was his name. He's also in the book of Acts. He was another sorcerer or magician, uh, a magus, if you will, a uh, magus or magi. So, the Magi didn't begin their journey until after Jesus' birth. The star appeared to announce that the birth had occurred. So they may have arrived up to two years after Jesus' birth. So instead of going to a manger, it says that they came to the house where Jesus was and Mary and Joseph. So some time had uh, uh, progressed before, since Jesus' birth to the time that they actually arrived. Uh, From Persia to uh, Bethlehem, as I said, was a distance of about 800 miles. Walking or on horseback or on camelback, it would have taken over a month for them to journey that far. Matthew doesn't mention how many there were or their races or their names. Uh, He also doesn't say anything about camels. Uh, If traveling from Babylon, It would have been a long trip. They don't know exactly what animals that they traveled on. So there's a lot of confusion or open gaps about the story. It says that they brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And of course, we understand now that these three gifts kind of represented Jesus' life. You bring gold to a king, and rightly so, because Jesus is a king. Uh, The frankincense was something used by priests, incense in the temple, and Jesus is our high priest, as we're told in the book of Hebrews, and myrrh was uh, a substance used to clean and anoint a dead body, to prepare it for burial, and we know that Jesus was to die as well. So all three gifts represent or reflect on major events that happened in Jesus' life, so they were all very appropriate. You know, I always wondered, what did they do with those things? The story kind of ends there. It was nice for them to have gold. What did Mary and Joseph do with that gold? It doesn't tell. You know, what about the frankincense and the myrrh? What, what, what did they use those items for? You know, the story ends there, so, so we don't know. The star of Bethlehem that the Magi followed from their home in the east uh, is another area of question in the minds of many people. When you watch uh, stories on TV, you know, like the History Channel or something like that, they're always searching back to that time to see what happened in the sky that would have attracted these wise men to come. Was it uh, a particular star that was shining brightly? Was it maybe a supernova that took place at some particular time? And, you know, scientists search the records and history, and they've never really come up with anything definite. Uh, But I ask the question, when it says here that the star eventually stopped over the home where Jesus was, you know, if there's a supernova that takes place, you know, millions of light years away and you could see it in the sky. How could that possibly stop over a home? Well, I tend to think, and and some others do too, that the star was actually an angel that moved in the sky because the period of 12 days that the Christmas celebration starts with Jesus being born and first of all being revealed to the Jews. And who were the first people that the revelation of Jesus' birth was revealed to? Well, the shepherds in the field. And who revealed that to them? Well, an angel or many angels. So now we come to the point in time where Jesus' birth is going to be revealed to the Gentiles. And who should that announcement come through or who should be involved in in that revelation? I would think an angel as well. So instead of an angel coming and speaking to shepherds in the field, here's an angel representing a light in the sky that attracts these men. Because don't forget, there were prophecies that said an angel, not an angel, but a star, a light would be involved in uh, announcing Jesus' birth. And many recognize that to be a star in the sky. So the angel of Christmas or the, the star of Christmas I think most likely was an angel that God sent to reveal this to these men. I don't think that the star was a comet or a grouping of planets in the sky, but I think it was a a messenger sent by God to to draw them or to attract them. You know, There's a lesson to be learned as to how far these men came to see the Christ child. Uh, 800 miles, I think that there's a lesson to be learned that Jesus is worth the trip. He's worth whatever we have to do in our lives to draw closer to him, to come to him, to worship him. You know, we think, you know, on a regular Sunday morning, we wake up and we think, well, should I go to church today or not? You know, I don't know if I feel up to it. It looks kind of gloomy outside. Hey, there might be some snow predicted. Well, here are men who traversed 800 miles on foot or on horseback or on camelback for about a month and a half to come see the Christ child, you know, how much effort do we have to put forth on a regular basis to come to church or to, you know, study God's word or sometimes we have to force ourselves to do some of these really important things in our life. So there's a lesson to be learned from these men. You know, it mentions in Matthew 2 here in verse 13, about Herod the Great, who was the ruler at the time. He was not a Jew, he was an Idumean who ruled over that portion of the the, uh, Roman government. And like most rulers of his day, he was ruthless and he was determined to remain in power regardless of what it took. And that would involve killing anybody who threatened his rulership now looking into history concerning uh, herod here he was a man who actually ended up murdering his wife he murdered his three sons he murdered his mother-in-law he murdered his brother-in-law he murdered an uncle and many others because he feared that they were going to take over his rulership so he was just a desperate person psychotic perhaps so when he got word that there was a king born that, who was going to rule, you know, he was determined that he was going to also wipe out the life of this child. So he, that's why he talked to the magi, trying to find out what they knew. And he didn't really want to come to worship this newborn child. He wanted to come and kill him because he was going to be a threat to his rulership. So, that's the story of the the killing of the the children and it was really an unfortunate and a a very sorrowful time in Bethlehem when all of these innocent children were killed. But it reminds us of something that happened in the past. You know, in the book of Exodus, uh, we know the story of Moses' birth And uh, the reason that I I draw this connection is that Matthew, as he wrote this story, you know, he includes some things about the birth of Jesus that the other three uh, gospel writers didn't include because Matthew's audience was the Jewish people. That's who he was predominantly writing for, and he was trying to help them understand who Jesus was. Now, let me turn to a, a, a prophecy back here in uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. This is close to the time of Moses' death. Of course, he had brought Israel out of Egypt. He was the one responsible for rescuing them from slavery and captivity. He brought them across the wilderness for 40 years. (laughs) And just before they were going to enter into the promised land, uh, Moses died. And some of the last things that that he talked about, uh, he talked about somebody else who was going to come later on. And it says here in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, notice what he says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Now, don't forget, Moses was a really important celebrity to the Israelites. He was their leader. His name was honored, he, he was held in high esteem throughout his life and especially afterwards. And the Jews remembered what Moses said The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet now he's actually predicting Jesus here, like me, from among your own brothers, you must listen to him. So for centuries, the Jews waited for this prophet to come, a man who was going to be like Moses, just like Moses. And Moses was held in high esteem and honored down throughout history And they waited for this man, wondering who it might be, a man who will be like Moses that we must listen to. So centuries later, when Matthew wrote his gospel, and when he wrote his gospel, his main goal was to show the Jews and to teach them, Jesus of Nazareth, he's the guy that Moses, your favorite patriarch, so many centuries ago, predicted. You know, you've been waiting for centuries for this prophet to show up. You've been wondering who he might be. Matthew is now trying to teach the Jews through his gospel. Jesus is the guy you've been waiting for. And it took some convincing on his part. So one of the the connections that Matthew makes here in telling the story and he was the only one who told the story about how Herod wanted to kill all the babies when Jesus was born, all the male babies in Jerusalem because he wanted to do away with any uh, king that might be growing up to replace him. He remembered the story of Moses and remember when Moses was born, if you all saw the movie The Ten Commandments, Uh, It was a time when the Pharaoh felt threatened by the Hebrews, the Israelites in Egypt. He said, their numbers are growing too fast. They're a threat. We have to do something about it. So what did the Pharaoh do? He told the midwives who were delivering babies for the the Israelites, when a woman is going to give birth, if it is a male baby, kill it. As soon as it's born, kill it. If it's a female, you can let it live. But if it's a male, you must kill it. And what did Moses' mother do? Well, when Moses was born, she took the baby and put it in a little basket and sent it on the water. Remember the story? And the relative of the Pharaoh actually found the baby and fell in love with it and decided to raise it herself. That's the story of Moses. And he grew up you know, as as an Egyptian until the day he realized he wasn't an Egyptian, he was a Hebrew. And then his story goes on from there. Well, Matthew spends a whole lot of time talking about Herod killing babies, and he's the only one to do it, because Matthew was teaching his Jewish audience. See, I told you, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, he is the one that Moses predicted, and just as Moses escaped by the skin of his teeth from the Pharaoh who was killing babies, isn't it interesting that here Jesus escapes by the skin of his teeth from Herod the Great, who was killing babies. Hmm, interesting tie in there. Coincidence? I think not, (laughs) he's teaching the the Jews of, of his time. Now, another example, uh, of a comparison between Jesus and Moses is that Moses, of course, came out of Egypt. The great patriarch came to the promised land from Egypt. What about Jesus? Well, when his life was threatened, his family was told to go where? To Egypt. You think, well, what was that all about? Well, then eventually, once the danger subsided, they came out of Egypt, just like the Exodus. Here's God's leader, Moses, bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. Here is Joseph and Mary and Jesus now coming out of Egypt, just like Moses did. Matthew is saying, Jesus is the one. Moses said, there will come a man like me. You must listen to him. Matthew is saying to his Jewish audience, this is the guy. Just as Moses escaped being killed as a baby, so did Jesus. Just as Moses came out of Egypt, so did Jesus. But it it doesn't end there. The story says that Moses, at one point in his life, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. What did Jesus do? Just before Jesus faced Satan himself in that temptation, it says that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Another thing that Moses did is at some point in time, shortly after the Exodus, he went up on a mount, Mount Sinai, and he received the law, teachings from God, and he taught the people what God's law was all about. So likewise, Jesus, at some point early on in his uh, ministry, went up on a mount and gave a sermon. The Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) So you see, once again, this is a man just like Moses. He is the one that Moses promised. He is the prophet that God said he would send, just like Moses. And he is the one who is to be listened to. That's why Matthew ties in all of these interesting stories that the other three gospel writers don't bother with. Why? Because his goal was to teach Jews that this is the man that Moses said would replace him ultimately, and you're to believe him. You're to believe on him. So Jesus fulfilled these things, just as Moses had predicted, and just as Moses had prophesied. So fulfilled prophecy, that's an important part of the story. So you see here in a Christmas celebration, it's a complete celebration. It's important that Jesus' arrival be announced, first of all to the Jews, because that was his primary focus. He was a Jew, and he came to teach the Jews to live among them, and that was his main audience throughout his earthly ministry. But also, at the end of the Christmas celebration, we celebrate Jesus being revealed to the Gentiles. Why? Because Jesus came to be the Savior of the whole world. Not just one nation, not just one group, but his... Role as Savior was for everyone. The Jews expected somebody. The world wasn't expecting anybody. But God saw it fit to call these men from a distant country. Why? You know, there were closer countries. There were other types of people who could have come. God had his reasons. God had his purpose. So he called these individuals to come and to worship. So that kind of sums up the complete celebration of Christmas. It shouldn't end on Christmas Day because it extends for 12 days until the Feast of the Epiphany when we celebrate the coming of the wise men. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, with the shepherds in the field representing the Jews, you see very humble people. And on the other hand, you see very wise men Uh, men who were held in high esteem in the Gentile world, again, it sums up the all-encompassing calling of Jesus Christ. He didn't come just for one group. He didn't come for one race. He didn't come for one nation. He didn't come for one ethnic group. He came for the poor as well as the rich, the humble and uh, the lowly as well as the intelligent and uh, the wise. For Jews and Gentiles alike, God's calling is all-encompassing, and He wants all people to respond to Him. Jesus' death on the cross was not for just one ethnic group or one nation, it was for all people. So we're not Jews sitting here today. I don't think anybody, of course, if we take the test, we may find that we have some Jewish blood in our our past from someplace, but... uh, I don't think any of us were called out of Judaism to Christianity. I know some people who have been called that way. But you don't have to have a certain DNA flowing through your system to be called to salvation in Jesus Christ. So I think that that's the lesson that we can learn. The important part of this story, though, is the response. The response. It wasn't just enough for God to reveal Himself. He wanted people to respond to that revelation. So today, God is calling people from all nations, all races, all nationalities. And what he is concerned about is the response. And we're here, and that's good, because we have responded. But God wants more and more and more people to respond to that calling. And that's the purpose for all of this happening. So we're very thankful that God sent his son to this earth. You know, it's a sign of God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness, that he wasn't content to just let us go uh, on our own way in darkness for all of our lives and for the history of the human race. But he sent a light into this world, a light that, as the video said, uh, when the Christmas tree was lit up, all of a sudden it started attracting people. They came to see. That's what Jesus Christ does in the lives of all people. That's why he came. He is the light who came into a darkened world, and light generally attracts. You know, during the summer, you put the light on outside on your porch, and what does it attract? Moths. (laughs) They're attracted to the light. There is an an interest, a curiosity, Uh, and I think we could even learn a lesson from, from those insects. The light has come into the world, and we should be attracted to it. Sinners like to do their sinning in the dark, They run away from the light because they like it in the dark. In the darkness, nobody can see what they're doing. But the light of God in Jesus Christ reveals everything. It reveals the heart of people. And Jesus does that in each of us. You know, sometimes we kid ourselves and we fool ourselves. And we think maybe that, well, our sin isn't that big of a deal. Or it's kind of nice being in the darkness. It's kind of comfortable. You know, I don't like bright lights shining on me. But God reveals everything through Jesus Christ. When we look at His life, and we, when we compare ourselves to Him, we find where we're coming up short. We are not to compare ourselves to other people, we're to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And then His light always shows us where we really stand, what we need to repent of, and how much more close, uh, closer we need to come to God in relationship So I hope that, you know, through this particular lesson and this particular celebration, we can learn that lesson. That it's one thing for God to reveal Himself, but it's another thing for us to respond. And we must be drawn to the light. We must be drawn to Jesus Christ, just as these wise men were from afar, just as the shepherds were who were tending their sheep in the field. That's God's purpose for sending His Son. And then to... uh, just accept Him as our Savior, to believe, to have our faith, to put our trust and confidence in Him, and to let Him do His work in us. And that in and of itself is a miracle in each of our lives. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the story of these men who you drew from far away to come and worship Jesus Christ. You want us to do the same. We don't need to come that far. (laughs) We come to find that Jesus is right at hand. He's right here in our midst, and all we have to do is to change our heart, to be attracted to the light, and to realize that we need a Savior in our lives, that we are sinners. We have all sinned and come short of, the, of your glory. The Scripture says there is none righteous, no, not one in your sight. So we all need a Savior. Thank you that you have worked on the hearts of all of us here, that we have turned to you. Help us to turn even more closely to you, to be attracted closer and closer every day in relationship with you. That's what you want. It's not a one-time agreement. It's not a contract that we sign to be a Christian. It's a relationship that we're in, a relationship that must grow daily, You're drawing us closer and closer every day to you, and you're transforming us to be more like you. Thank you for this awesome privilege you've given us and help us to respond uh, more fervently to you on a daily basis. You're our God, we are your people, and we thank you for sending Jesus into this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen.